And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. All right, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscalia. We are knee deep in the offseason, even though the rest of the NFL still has this little thing called the Super Bowl to uh, do this weekend, but uh, that doesn't stop the Bills from their plans and what they might do with their upcoming soon-to-be unrestricted free agents, restricted free agents, what they might be looking at as the NFL Combine draws near. So a lot of things that uh, they have to be cognizant of with, oh, by the way, a very minimal amount of cap space at, at the time of recording. So uh, lots to get into today, and the offseason is always good to catch up with old friends. And so I wanted to get one of the best friends of the Buffalo Beat, who served as a, a post-game co-host for the 2021 season. His name is Matt Bovey. He is the sports director over at Channel 7 WKBW in Buffalo. YB, welcome back to the Buffalo Beat, buddy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I don't think we're old friends. We're like still friends. We still talk to each other nope. every single day in nope. some capacity. No, we don't talk you're, mis- you're misleading all of your listeners right now saying that we're old friends. We're just regular nope. friends. We're not no, old we friends. Don't, we, don't, we don't talk anymore. Um, no, <laughs> no. YB is, uh, is one of my very good friends in this world. And I'm very uh, happy that he agreed to come on the Buffalo Beat because this is, this is an off season that feels a bit different from the last couple ones, Matt. And I think the way I said it to you, even before we hit record on this thing was I want to keep this thing open-ended because, you know, there are just so many different topics that are, I think on a lot of people's brains as they're entering this, uh, this off season, like it's not so singularly focused as to, okay, Hey, they need a cornerback or, Hey, they really need a pass rusher. It's like, moving targets all over the place. So I guess my question to you, and we'll kind of go from there, is when you're thinking about this offseason coming up, what is the number one thing on your brain from a roster perspective? Just getting better everywhere. And I know that might be a little bit of a cop-out, but I think last year we have the luxury of having hindsight when we look at what happened last offseason as we try and figure out what's going to happen now but it felt very linear from the entire time of the offseason it was like okay at some point this team is going to have to address cornerback and they're going to have to improve their defensive line this year I think you could make the argument that they need to improve in almost every single position on the football field except for quarterback. So I think there's a lot of different ways they could go. I think once again we're going to probably be spending a lot of time talking about the line Maybe even the offensive line, not maybe, definitely the offensive line and the defensive line. Like both of those places need to get better. They got bullied against the Bengals. And I know sometimes those last games gets overblown a little bit, but it really was the entire season. The offensive line this year, way too inconsistent. The defensive line, once they lost Von Miller, their production plummeted. So I think that the lines are going to be a big focus, but I'm all in on like the offense this year. I think for way too long, the Bills have been relying on Josh Allen to just go be a freak of nature and just be a special player. I think they need to surround him with more talent, with more pieces, and just get better really across the board. Yeah, and you know, you said get better, but then you also drifted into the land of the offense, which leads me to believe that that's what's on your mind the most. So we'll, we'll just we'll just we'll just go right into, into that. Um, the offensive line is the least sexy of all the options to to talk about here, but it was the first thing that you brought up. So I figure it might as well blow this thing out a little bit. Um, The, the offensive line, I am in full agreement with you. It was inconsistent. Um, I think some of their guys had some of their worst years, like Deion Dawkins to me had his worst year since his second season in the NFL. And it, I think I don't think it was necessarily a 
uh, a coincidence that that happened when they changed offensive line coaches because Bobby Johnson does coach his offensive tackles a bit differently than the way Aaron Cromer does. And I think we saw a little bit of that impact with Dawkins. And it for the first time, I wondered to myself, would he be better inside at guard? And that's that's a that's an issue that they're probably not going to get into, but it's at the very least a talking point at some point down the line. Um, and then the rest of the line, Mitch Morse is probably the only example of a guy that didn't struggle to a grand degree at some point this year. Ryan Bates, he had solid games, but also not so solid games, um, especially early in the season. Spencer Brown started the year off really well, like he did as a rookie, and then fell off a cliff, just like he did as a rookie. And it makes you wonder what his future is. And then Roger Saffold was just an unmitigated disaster the, the entire season. And then it leaves you with, okay, so what is the answer here? Because a lot of these guys are under contract. Dawkins under contract, Morse, Bates, Brown. It seems like they could convince themselves that four of out of their five guys should return. But then past that, like the depth was a complete nightmare yeah. between Greg Van Roten, David Quesenberry, Bobby Hart, Tommy Doyle when he was healthy. Like these are guys that should not be even close to starting. And they were one, one snap away. So I guess – this is just a, a long-winded point of what do you think they should do? Well, I think that there's two people who definitely will be back, and that's Deion Dawkins and it's Mitch Morris. And I know for a while we've talked about Mitch Morris as potentially like a cap casualty with a team that's up against it. But yeah, not, I anymore. Think he, not anymore. I think he's the most sure thing you have on the offensive line. You need to make sure that he's coming back as he will. And then same thing with Deion Dawkins. I agree with you. Deion Dawkins was not nearly as effective this past season as he was two years ago. And that's crazy because he had COVID twice during the actual season last year and was still better then than he was this past season. Then you get to the ones that are a little bit more tricky. Like Spencer Brown is a cheap contract and he's got a lot of potential. And this team needs to lean on some players who don't cost a ton of money because they're going to be spending a lot of money elsewhere. So I think that Spencer Brown has a role on the team. I just don't know if it's going to be as a starter or if it's going to be a depth option. I think Ryan quick, Bates is one quick, of those. Quickly before you go, before you go to Bates, um, Brandon Bean was also kind of defiant about Spencer Brown in his postseason press conference, which I found interesting. You know, definitely not making excuses, but definitely um, making sure that everyone knew the entire picture about Spencer Brown, which led me to believe that there's more internal belief in him than elsewhere. But I also don't know that they're necessarily going to, you know, pin their hopes and dreams on Spencer Brown being their right tackle next year. I think it's an option for them. Well, I don't disagree with you, but at the same time, the thing that stood out to me the most about what Brandon said was like, this isn't a guy from, you know, the SEC. This is a guy from Iowa. Well, you mm -hmm. want a guy from the SEC, go draft a guy from the SEC, and then you don't have to worry about taking two or three years to get to their potential. I still think Spencer Brown is probably going to be the starter for the Bills next year. I just think that if that's going to be the case, they really need to figure out something with their guards. I think Ryan Bates is a really nice player to have just because of the versatility, but that doesn't mean he has to be somebody who starts every single snap. And then Saffold, I just don't see a, a world where he comes back. I know. I think he actually told you in mm -hmm. locker cleanout that he's mm -hmm. not looking to break the bank. He's just, would love to be back and, you know, get a contract that he thinks is fair. I just think for the bills and I know it's like the least sexy thing in the world, but talking about drafting a guard early, whether it's the first round or the second round, I think makes a lot of sense for them. A lot of sense. I I'm very much like team fun, go draft a receiver, go draft somebody who can like do cool stuff. But I think you need to keep your quarterback upright. And if you do that, then everybody else becomes a little bit better. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of value to to what you're saying there. Um, Bates will be here regardless because uh, I don't know if he'll be in a starting capacity, but his dead uh, cap number that it would cost them an additional 1.65 on this year's cap. Uh, in a, and you know he's already got let's see what is it um, a 4.875 million cap hit for 2023. So that ain't happening. He's going to be here um, and. I would, I would guess that he starts for them next year just because I think, and this is not a compliment, but he was their third best starter the, yeah. in 2022. Can and, I throw out a possible scenario here? Yeah, absolutely. 
Would you move him back to left the left side of the line? Oh, 100%. Then, I think that that would be a catalyst. I think so too. Like I I don't know. I think that if you're prioritizing one of the guards, I, I think you prioritize the right guard just because then you're also giving Spencer Brown a little bit more help over on that side. And I, I know it's very like prisoner of the moment. Like you could make the argument that a left guard for a, on a rookie contract or as a young player is more valuable than somebody over on the right side. But I think the weakness of the Bills line specifically right now is the right side of their line. So that's why mm-hmm. right guard to me becomes like priority number one. And then if Bates is still on the team, just play him at left. If, if you don't get somebody better there, I mean, you could go out and get two guards and that would be totally fine. Well, the trouble is, and this is uh, more of an NFL philosophical thing than than anything, is that the overall depth of offensive linemen that are out there are just it's 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 really not great, um, yeah. and that's why over the past couple of off seasons, you. I'm sure our listeners have probably heard me again and again go, hey, they should address an interior offensive lineman at some point in the first three rounds uh, because and someone that not even can play center, but play center, but then can play guard. So that way you get that, that uh, double value, which is something that they covet. And Brandon Bean has neglected the offensive line left and right. Outside of Spencer Brown, he has not drafted an offensive lineman in the first four rounds. Um, I mean, the other his other examples are Wyatt Teller, Jack Anderson, Tommy Doyle. All three of those guys were day three picks. So what about it's Cody like, Ford, he drafted oh, Cody Ford. Oh, no, right? he did draft. He did draft Cody. That's right. Um, like th- that one didn't that, work out though. That one <laughs> did, did not work out. out. He drafted him to be a tackle. So yeah. in terms of interior linemen, he has only drafted Teller and Jack Anderson. That's it. And that's a fifth and a seventh round pick. So the investment level is lacking here. And I think another piece of this is that I don't know if it's necessarily a philosophy of them to draft a guard only early, uh, just because they look at how they have managed the guard position since Bean and McDermott have gotten there. They have gotten by basically every single year, or they move Cody Ford to guard when when he couldn't play tackle anymore. Yeah. So I do wonder how that kind of shakes out uh, in terms of how highly of a draft pick they would invest in it, especially when they invested good sized cap dollars in Ryan Bates uh, this past year and going into 2023. And then, um, you know, having already a lot invested in Mitch Morse for 2023. I think the scenario that would make the most sense to me if they were to, say, take one in the the first couple of rounds is exactly the one that I have been championing for for the last couple of years. Draft a center who can play guard. It is not always a, a thing that every single center can do. Some guys are center only, some guys are guard only, some guys are tackle only, some guys are guard slash tackles. It's not, hey, you draft an offensive lineman, he can play anywhere. Not every left guard can play right guard. Like it's it's not necessarily versatility isn't necessarily a strong suit for everybody. So that center who can play guard, I think would be the ideal solution here. But I just don't based on what I've read early on from uh, some of our draft guys at the athletic, the interior line group and, and the center group in in particular is not exactly enthralling this upcoming class. So uh, I guess it's uh, okay. So, so then what, what, what do you do? You, you trust a, a late round guy. Um, and do you, do you hope for the best that, uh, that somebody might fall to you? One of these centers that can play guard, or do you just try and improve the team elsewhere and, and try and get by again at, at uh, left or right guard? I mean, you might just hope that Josh Allen can kind of erase some of these problems because at times he has been able to, but when he was banged up last season, he was not able to. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. tough to kind of negate that lackluster offensive line when you've got a bum ankle and you've got a UCL injury that you probably should have been sitting for at least a couple weeks. So he wasn't able to kind of overcome the not consistent guard play, the not consistent offensive line play to the level that he was in years past. I think they probably – I don't know what he's got left in the tank. 
Like Ike Butker is a guy we didn't really see anything from this year. I would imagine they probably try and bring him back for a pretty cheap contract just because he does have that position versatility that they really, really covet. And he's also been around for a while. I think he's a pretty universally liked yeah, they, guy Yeah, they there. love him. I mean, it's, yeah. an, it's an option to start that they know that they can trust for a certain baseline of production. Yeah. And like, let's say they go into next year with Dawkins, Ryan Bates at left guard, Morse, Butker at right guard, you draft a, a late-round guard to be competition. Spencer Brown is there at right tackle. You sign maybe a veteran um, to compete with Spencer Brown. And then you've got Tommy Doyle to, to kind of round out the, the top eight. And there's, there's your top eight. So th- I think that could be a plausible solution, and that involves Butker. So I'm right there with you. Yeah, it's just I, eventually you have to kind of take your medicine. Eventually you have to put in the resources to get somewhere that's going to not just help you in the short term, but it's going to help you in the long term. And I know we're still very early on in the process, but it feels like the early things that I'm reading about the draft in general, it's like all of the positions I could see the Bills taking early, it feels like all of those positions are weaker in this particular draft. And I know there's a lot of different things that they can do. And that's like kind of a really oversimplification of everything, but maybe you just have to take your medicine and it's not the funnest thing to do, but in the second round, you're like, okay, yeah, we think this guy could be the answer at guard for the next four years. So that's why we're going to take them. And we hope that it works out. And maybe it's not something that, you know, Maybe it's not a wide receiver. Maybe it's not somebody who can get after the quarterback. Maybe it's not a potential replacement for Jordan Poyer or for Tremaine Edmonds, but you just eventually have to do it. And I think that's the thing that the Bills are going to have to figure out is can they get by another year of just kind of patching the offensive line together the way they have been doing. There is a center prospect this year uh, with the last name of Schmitz, which names with Fritz and (laughs) – we also, because this is this is way in the weeds here, but uh, we have a um, robot vacuum cleaner, and I named it in the app Schmitz and Fritz versus Schmitz, and so it would be a uh, a quite the uh, coming of age here if Schmitz was actually drafted by the Bills. But I don't know if he he's got guard he's got guard flexibility. That's that's the trouble. And the other perplexing part of this to pivot off robot vacuum cleaners named Schmitz. Um, the other perplexing part is Mitch Morse is in the final year of his contract coming up. He is entering, I believe, his age 32 season, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just look it up real quick. He is entering his age 31 season, um, my mistake. And not only that, he has this longstanding issue with concussions and suffered another one at the end of this past season. So if you're looking at this draft and you're probably thinking, Hey, there's a chance that Mitch Morse just calls it after, after this coming season, like maybe he comes back, but there's also just as good of a chance that, that he retires because of all of these, these concussions. I think that is a bigger piece of the conversation than than just the here and now of what the hell are we going to do at guard in 2023 was mitch morris 2018 or 2019 he was 2019 right he was 2019 because their their offensive line was a trash heap in 2018 yeah so 2019 i think that that's why the flexibility of having somebody who can do the whole center guard thing makes a ton of sense i also think though for mitch morris I don't, I've never had this conversation with him and I don't want to jump to conclusions, but I've kind of always felt like Mitch Morris is either a guy who's going to continue to play here in Buffalo or probably stop playing football in general. So even once we get past this contract, I could see Mitch Morris as that guy who signs, you know, like one year, two year contracts just to kind of keep, especially if the window is still open. Like if the bills are still a contender, I think Mitch Morris really wants to be a part of a team that ultimately gets there because he's been so close on so many different occasions. So that's why I think it's wise to address it and have kind of a backup plan, but I don't think you have to start thinking about the future just yet, specifically at center. I think figuring out what you're going to do at guard is more important right now than it is at center. And I also think that there's a lot of questions at guard moving forward too. So, you know, you know, you kind of address both of those there short-term and long-term. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So, um, because I know you love instant trivia. Love it. Can you name the two players that uh, started at center in 2018 for the Buffalo Bills? Oh. Um... It was really bad. Was one of them Butker? No, no. He was on the team, but um, he was inactive for most of it. And he really only played in a couple of games late in the year. I don't believe it was Feliciano. I think nope. he got here in 2019, same year as Mitch. Right. Um, give me a hint. Give me hints for these. They people. traded him, one of them, to the Patriots. Unexpectedly so. Crap. No, I was thinking something different. It wasn't. Marshall Newhouse was a tackle. He was a tackle. This guy was a a four-year starter for the Bengals. And it wasn't Quentin Spain? No. All right. I'm going to end this. I don't don't know. I don't know. Russell Bodine. Ah, yes. Russell Bodine. And he um, replaced Ryan Groy. In the starting lineup, that feels like twenty years ago. <laughs> not, the, the, not the five entire, years ago. The entire starting offensive line was really something. I'll just run it down. Uh, those were the centers. Would have been Dion. The left tackle was Dion. The right tackle was Jordan Mills. Yep. The right guard was John Miller. Mil- John Miller. And the left guard was the happiest man in the locker room, Vladimir Dukas. He was a nice guy. Uh, um, Wyatt Teller was also there that year. Jeremiah Searles was there that year. Uh-huh. And Connor McDermott was also there that year. Man. I mean, Wyatt Teller turned into obviously being a great player, but wow. And practice squad player who was there for one week in all of training camp. You might remember this name. Gerhard DeBeer. Yeah. Remember that guy? Okay. Well, that's that's the trip down memory lane. That's crazy. I mean, that entire team, uh, it, you've get, taken us down memory lane. We might as well go all the way down memory lane. That entire team was a disaster, at least offensively. I am of the belief, and I have felt this way for a long time, that that 6-10 and 10 record was the single best coaching job Sean McDermott has done since, his, since he's come to Buffalo because of how 
horribly talented that entire roster was and for how he was able to somehow manage six wins out of that yeah it was mightily impressive but yeah and then after that season that was the year when they had like all of the money in the world going into free agency and that's when they did everything that was the take their medicine year yeah it was like 2018 was the year that you're just going to be like okay we're just going to hope that josh allen shows something and then 2019 it was like okay cole beasley john brown mitch morris john feliciano like all of these guys came I i remember you know the first game of 2019 we were in new york city for it was the jets week one the giants week two the Bills came out and they had some like fluky stuff happen. I think like a ball hit Beasley's hands, went up in the air, and it turned into an interception on their first drive. The Bills threw it like a bunch of times in the row. And I was like, who are these people? It was like, mm-hmm. these guys look legit. And then, you know, they started three and one and had a really nice little season. Sorry, that's, that's a really random tangent to go off on. No, no, it's a good tangent because it's also a good segue into the wide receiver room because that's yeah. that's the other thing you brought up. I, I guess less, less so about the wide receiver room. I know... I'm sure you've been um, keeping your eye on on mock drafts as they've as they've kind of come through um, throughout the early stages of the off season here, and I, I know you probably have seen this just as much as I have that uh, there are, are more than a few that have put Bijan Robinson, the running back mm-hmm. from Texas, to the Bills. I guess in terms of arming Josh Allen with more talent around him. Is it just find the best offensive piece to you or is it invest in a wide receiver because it's it's critically needed? This is not an original idea. I've seen a lot of people talking about this. I want to preface with that. I think the Bills should be in the business of finding somebody who can come in and have a role on this team immediately like they did with Stefan Diggs. I'm not saying go find Stefan Diggs. The name that just fascinates me is Hunter Renfro. Like, is Hunter Renfro available? Can you go get him? Because if you can go get Hunter Renfro, I think your offense is Stefan Diggs, Hunter Renfro, Dawson Knox, Gabe Davis, and then you take a flyer on a wide receiver somewhere that you hope can make some sort of contribution this upcoming season. Because I think that that would kind of remedy a lot of the problems that the Bills ultimately had last year. Because Hunter Renfro is not just like your, okay, He's going to play in this. He's not Cole Beasley. Like he has a different skill set. He does a lot of the same things that he can do. And I didn't even say Isaiah McKenzie. I think that's why I like the idea of adding somebody who has proven that they can play in the NFL. I do think that if you fall, a guy falls to you that you really like, then you can take him in the first round, the second round, the third round, whatever it is. Just doesn't feel like this is the draft class where you get super, super excited about any of the wide receiver prospects. So maybe that means that you're going to get one of the top guys in a year that you wouldn't likely do that. But even the top guys feel like they would have been the sixth, seventh, or eighth guys in a wide receiver class like this past season. So I like the idea of adding somebody who can contribute, step in right away. And I think like the top of that list is Hunter Renfro. I know there's Keenan Allen rumors that are out there, like what's going to happen with him in Los Angeles. I, I just don't know how the Bills necessarily make that work. Um, yeah, the free agent market is meh. So it's not like there's anybody who I think could come in and free agency and just knock your socks off. But I, I do think that there would be some really nice value in just going and finding somebody in a, maybe a little bit more unconventional way than just drafting them. No, it, it that there are certain value to that, and it would certainly help their, uh, I guess, their overall look at 2023 to get someone with a little bit more experience. Uh, I think the uh, the the piece of Hunter Renfro's contract that I have to dig more into is that it would be a pretty hefty cap number, even if they traded for him, and all the prorated mm-hmm. money would would be gone. I think, yeah. Uh, if I'm if I'm reading it correctly, he's got a according to over the cap, he's got a roster bonus of 4.3 million coming up in addition to a 6.5 million base salary and that's over 10 for uh Yeah, it's it's around for, 11 I believe for him. For a slot receiver. And so that that's tough. That that's a that's tough business to to try and do especially when you drafted a guy in Khalil Shakir that that you ended up liking and you know, Renfro is not really impacting you as a, as a boundary guy. So no. that's that's where I I it falls a little short on me. Um, 
but it would be it would be a, a good addition because they they have to do something. I just don't know if it's the best means to uh, utilize what little cap space that they have, especially considering that um, if they want to get Tremaine Edmonds back, and we won't mm-hmm. get it, we won't go there. It's going to wind up costing them somewhere a between eight, eight to twelve million uh, on this year's cap. I think. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's all about trying to figure out that sweet spot but um and the, and there's the possibility that the raiders just outright release hunter renfro so yeah why why would you give a a free agent contract to or why would you trade an asset for someone that that might be released especially because if let's see if i'm reading this correctly if on the roster third day of the 2023 league year, Renfro will have his salary for 2023 fully fully guaranteed. So that means there is a a deadline to where he needs to be moved by March 18th, or else the Raiders just might outright cut him. So do you th- do you think that it's it. like an absolute necessity though for the Bills to add a boundary wide receiver, or do you think it's just an absolute necessity for the Bills to add a wide receiver? Because I still feel like, and I know I'm higher on him than most people, but I still feel like. If Gabe Davis is your second boundary receiver, but your third receiver just in general, that you're probably okay. Like, I feel like Gabe Davis this year, I I know he did not live up to the expectations that were set by him by, you know, people like me and then a lot of people on the outside. But I also don't think that he ever really had any help besides it was always going to be Diggs or Davis. At the end of the year, they started utilizing Dawson Knox a little bit more. But there was never a moment when there was really anybody else who was a threat. And I think that ultimately ended up hurting both of them, Diggs and Davis. I think it's, I think it's more than just a Davis conversation. Um, for Just to, because we're there, I think Davis is not a great separator. And mm-hmm. that hurts him, especially in the way that the Bills conduct their offensive business. Uh, and that, and, and if he's not bringing in as many contested catches as he was, or, you know, he's struggling with some drops when he is open. That's a, an, an overall consistency factor that you didn't account for because he wasn't in this, this high snap role before the season. So that gives me cause for concern with him. Um, but they do love him as a run blocker and, and he absolutely has a role on the team. I just don't know if there is, uh, if he is like, what you aspire to have as your number two receiver. Um, But on top of that is he's entering the final year of his deal coming up. And that should be a consideration not above all else, but it should be up there just because are you really going to commit cap dollars to Gabe Davis when he has had some inconsistent form throughout? I mean, he's had these huge splash games like we saw against the chiefs and occasionally throughout the 2022 season, but it, they weren't really all that consistently there. They weren't predictable. And, and there were times that he really let them down. So I wonder if this, if a move for a receiver that can play the boundary and build up to that number two role is the way to go, as opposed to finding a slot guy for a ton of money or in the draft that, takes over for Shakir, and then once 2024 gets here, you're like, okay, well, we have two slot receivers and and Stefan Diggs. What do we do now? Um, so that's why I think the boundary spot, to me, should take precedence, especially if they remain high on Shakir to eventually be that, that long-term slot guy. Everything that you said makes sense. I just think it's going to be harder to acquire somebody who can immediately come in and be – I don't even know if it's going to be a two – but like a 2B to Davis as a 2A, as a boundary receiver. Like I just, the way that they've handled themselves over the years, even if they drafted somebody high, I don't think that that person is going to come in and immediately get a bunch of playing time. Right. It would be a 2024 move. Um, And while giving them some, uh, you know, if they find someone, let's say in the first three rounds, wide receiver, and that player can play both the boundary and the slot. That in itself gives them value in terms of what Khalil Shakir was able to do in his rookie season. And 
give them options for what to do moving forward. So that way, in when 2024 gets here, they're not just sitting there going, okay, well, Stefan Diggs is here. He's now in his 30s. And now what? So that, that to me is just – and I have to dig into these draft prospects because I haven't um, watched the film on a lot of these guys. I think there's a couple of guys that, that show some promise to me. Um, like Addison from USC, to me, looks like a really smooth separator. Um, and I think you could play him on the outside. Uh, I need to watch more of him. But he seems to be exactly the type of fit that the Bills might want with Josh Allen and what they usually covet with their receivers. So I, I just wonder um, if there might be there might be a, a player out there that can do a little bit of everything for them in the interim and then move on uh, into 2024. And let's say, let's say it is Addison. Let's say they draft him. He's boundary with, with Stefan Diggs, or let's say he, he looks better in the slot. And then you have him as a, as a locked in slot player with, um, with Stefan Diggs. And then you try and figure it out with, with the other boundary spot. So I, you know, I just, someone that gives them options, I think is, is the, is the better call than just going for slot only. What do we think about Quentin Johnson understanding it is still so early in the pro like in the process here? Like I really wish that I would, and this is something that could be a focal point at the combine of just kind of having these conversations with people. I wonder how he would rank when in comparison to like last year's draft class or a couple years ago draft class. Because if he is like, oh, he would have been the fourth or fifth best wide receiver in last year's draft class, I think there is still like a really strong case to be made of going to get a guy like that because all of those players were able to contribute on the teams that they ultimately went to. And it is kind of a unique position of maybe you can get a guy who's the consensus with air quotes, number one receiver in a class, even though you're not in like a premier draft position. So I'm interested to see how that plays out because it feels like it, it, you can view it both ways. It could be a benefit to you that this isn't like an absolutely loaded wide receiver class, or if it was, then you would be getting maybe somebody with a little bit more talent when you off, when you eventually do get on the board. It's to me, it's like, they have to get a receiver. They absolutely have to, how they do that. I have no idea what they're going to do, but they have to roll out this year, this next season with not the exact same group that they had. No, I, I, I absolutely agree with you there. Um, the TCU receiver that you're talking about, I've watched minimal of him. I've only watched a couple of games. Um, I mean, the the obvious things about him, tall, super fast, and can make people miss in the open field and can get you uh, lots of yards with his speed. Um, but there are a lot of concentration drops with him, and that is – a concern especially and it, it almost feels like like I said this is just very early on um, it almost feels like he would be a bit more of a projection than someone that you can really depend upon in the first year maybe I'm wrong about that and I need to watch more but that's that's the way that it that it feels right now with him um, so I guess to be determined once I watch more film and see if I was wrong and because that is very easily the case if you if you only see a couple of games where it's like oh well this is an issue and then you watch a couple more like oh okay well maybe it wasn't as big of an issue but but that that was my initial read on him but I'm absolutely with you this wide receiver group needs something but they also don't have a lot of funds to do it like they basically have to uh, restructure Josh Allen's contract and then they're yeah. at the cap. And then they need to make a ton of other moves just to have some operating room to, let's say, re-sign a Tremaine, Tremaine Edmonds. So while like going out and signing a guy or trading for a guy would make sense in an, in an ideal world, that's not necessarily the world they're living in because they're going to have to, like, let's say... Tremaine Edmonds, they they want he is their number one priority to to bring back this offseason. And because he is the key to their defense or the key to the, the middle of their defense, he's 25 years old in May, and you've got him on uh, in his prime for the next five to seven years. Let's say he's priority number one. So at that point, you are clearing out 
you're, you're restructuring Josh Allen's contract. You're probably restructuring Von Miller's contract. You don't have a lot of guys that you can just flat cut for cap relief this year. No, like, like there not. are three. Uh, Naheem Hines for five, but they still like Naheem Hines. Isaiah McKenzie for 2.6, but they still like Isaiah McKenzie. And Tim Settle for 2.3, I think it is. And they're, they're already losing Jordan Phillips. So there's not a lot of obvious candidates here. So so how many how many times is Brandon Bean really willing to do the restructure and kick the can down the road game? And you have to be very careful which, with which contracts you do it to because a lot of these guys are in a spot where – now you're starting to question whether or not they're going to be here for three to four years, like a Deion Dawkins or a Matt Milano. Like that, it's not an, as easy in it as a case anymore. So, so yeah, it's it's very convoluted. But I'm with you. They need to do something. That's why I think the draft is the 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 ideal spot to do it because it's cost controlled. Is it going to take a little bit more time? Yes, but we've also seen wide receivers acclimate a little bit quicker more recently than uh, than they had been in years past in the NFL. So I'm, I, 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 I like the idea of a first or second round receiver myself. I don't think that this will never happen. I would not complain if they used every single draft pick they have this year on offense. Every single one of them. I think that there is value in like, I know you want to be good on both sides of the ball. I totally understand that. Your fastball while you have him is Josh Allen. The reason you are going to be a contender for the next five years is not because of a stout defense that, you know, looked a little bit like paper tigers at the end. It's because you have Josh Allen and he is capable of doing things that very few other players are capable of doing. Put as many pieces and players around him to put him in a position of success. And it feels like for the last four years, they really haven't done a good enough job of that. Yeah. Stefan Diggs was kind of like the one outlier there. Gabe Davis was a really good pick in the fourth round. Dawson Knox turned out to be a good pick in the third round when they took him. But it just, when I'm watching these other teams in the playoffs, when I'm watching the Bengals, when even I'm watching the Chiefs, even without Tyree Kill, when I'm watching the Eagles, I'm like, there's just so many guys there. And it doesn't feel like the Bills have that. I mean, like the Eagles are, it's unbelievable. Their offensive line is unbelievable. And they've got all of these weapons offensively. And I'm just like, the only reason, the only way they can compete with that is by Josh Allen playing lights out. Mm-hmm. And it it brings us back to like kind of a a chicken or the egg discussion because a lot of the reason that Josh Allen wasn't able to be as prolific as maybe he was a year ago is because there were a lot of times, especially down the stretch of the season where it was very obvious through his actions and how he played from snap to snap that he did not trust the guys to be able to pick up a, a defender that is about to come free on a, on a stunt or, or someone that's blitzing. And he would bail out of the pocket early. And to me, that was the biggest sign of, okay, something's not right here because the Josh Allen that became – the prolific quarterback that he was in 2021 and 2020 for that matter was because he looked just a lot more stoic and comfortable within the pocket, made subtle moves within the pocket because he trusted his blockers around him. And the offensive line wasn't like great, but it was still enough to get him by to where he felt comfortable in those movements. And that's why, um, it's it comes back to this. Okay, so what would be more impactful to the Bills? Is it addressing an offensive lineman so that Josh Allen is having fewer of these moments, or is it getting him a pass catcher that can help get open quicker and to maximize the opportunities once they are given? Because what they had out there was clearly not working. Whether it was Gabriel Davis, um, Khalil Shakir, even though uh, he showed some nice moments, just I mean, there were a lot of times where he was invisible in terms of being a target. Um, Isaiah McKenzie struggled with drops, and we know his speed. We know his, he's he's a fourth or fifth wide receiver. That's that's who yeah. what Isaiah McKenzie is. And then Stefan Diggs, effectively being taken out of the game, and it wasn't every play, but like de- defenses did it enough to make Josh Allen feel like it was every play. 
And the Bengals did an amazing, or I'm sorry, the Dolphins did an amazing job of that uh, in the wild card round. So that's why it's like, okay, what exactly is going on here? And it goes back to my discussion going into the offseason and the first week of the offseason after it was uh, revealed that, or not revealed, but basically confirmed that Ken Dorsey would be back, is, is Ken Dorsey doing enough to maximize this offense around Josh Allen? And some of the the issues that I thought that Allen conquered with it being that pocket presence is now creeping back into the discussion. So it's a... It's a convoluted issue, man. I mean, there are so many different elements at play here, and they eventually have to lighten the load on Josh Allen. Otherwise, you are going to be dangerously running the risk of him sustaining injuries and turning into Cam Newton. That is a legitimate possibility. So not to get all like dour on everybody, but that is why this offense, in a a nutshell – that is why it is such the topic that it is heading into the offseason and why me personally, I didn't know if it was in the best interest to keep Ken Dorsey for a second year because of all of these factors. I don't disagree with anything that you said. I think that I have way more questions going into this offseason than I did going into last offseason, especially about the offense. And that's concerning given where they were not that long ago and maybe somehow we didn't even give Brian Dable enough credit when he was here but it just always felt like there were like 10 plays that the Bills had that they knew would work and it just felt like this year the Bills offense was way too predictable it never Mm -hmm. felt like they were really in a rhythm really after the bye week like they started pretty well and then there was kind of a lull and I think because they won some close games against teams that were a little bit better it masked some of their problems but it's not like the offense looked like a juggernaut against the Ravens it's not like the offense looked like they were a juggernaut against the Chiefs they scored 24 points in that game they scored 20 in the game against the Ravens like they did just enough to win they were at their best against the Rams and the Titans in the first two weeks of the season and this was this was part of the the issue that I had with with uh you know this just blind faith in Ken Dorsey is that immediately like yeah he's probably going to have some success because they've got a dynamic quarterback but what happens when when teams start to have a book on you? What what is your what is your counterpunch when they start to figure you out as a play caller? And we just kind of saw a lot of you know some some flash plays here or there. It wasn't yeah. all bad, and you know everyone in the Bills organization will be the first ones to be like, okay, well, yards and points. I mean, pretty much yeah. the same as last year, but it's not. It's it's not no. the same. It's definitely not the same because that is not. It is not this overwhelming presence of an offense that made teams feel like what they were doing on defense was inadequate. And that's that's the best way to describe it. But but yeah, something but we know Dorsey's gonna be back. And so now it's trying to figure out, okay, is it helping Josh Allen more to add a pass catcher or an offensive lineman? And that's kind of the crux of this whole thing. Yeah, why not do both? Just make sure you do both. And then once you think that you've addressed it, do more because you can never have too many guys who are offensive linemen who are available and you can never have too many receivers. I mean, I even think back to like Isaiah Hodgins. Isaiah Hodgins had an awesome summer and a really strong training camp and a really strong preseason. I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm not going to crucify the Bills over not having Isaiah Hodgins on this team. I think a lot of people have kind of freaked out about that, but I think it would have been a nice piece moving forward. It would have been like, yeah, you don't exactly, you know, you've got to address the position, but maybe this actually turns into something because I don't think like Jake Kumaro is scaring anybody as an offensive weapon. He's there for a lot of other reasons. So I think that I don't want to sound like I'm just defending Josh Allen here, but I feel like it's always easy to just say like, oh, Josh Allen needed to be better down the, at the end of the season. I think that he's like 20th on the list of people that you can find and blame because I don't really think there's that much he could have done with the pockets that he had in the lack of separation that these receivers were getting and the lack of creativity from the play callers. I'm Mm -hmm. just like so many times I've heard people say like, Oh, Josh Allen needs to do a better job of taking what the defense gives him. It's like, have you seen some of these plays where you're saying that there's like nothing there. You can count how many times it's like, Oh yeah, well that was, that guy was open. Like he could have taken that check down and got a first down. 
it's harder to take what the defense gives you when more times than not you're running for your life because you don't trust the people in front of you and you don't have anybody open. And then when you add on top of that that you're injured in multiple spots, like the Bills would never let anybody – they never wanted to let on more than they could, you know, that they had to. But, like, Josh Allen probably should have been playing football for a couple weeks with the UCL injury. And then he had a lingering ankle injury. Like, there was a lack of mobility at the end of the season compared to years past. So I, that's why I'm like, go all in on the offense. There are some tweaks that you can make defensively. I think getting Von Miller back and having a full offseason of a healthy Tredavious White will probably help you a bit. But just like go all in offensively because Josh Allen should be your fastball. And it felt like they lost that this past year. And if you go all in offensively, then it removes all of the excuses from Mm -hmm. a certain play caller, which I believe he will be on the hot seat entering the season next year. That that is, that is my, that is, I, I think you just said you agree, but I, I'm of the belief that if he doesn't get this thing turned around to where they are like closer to where they were, um, in 2020 and 2021, um, then maybe it's like midseason, three quarters of the season through because they they got a they they have a very precious window here to where it's like mm-hmm. okay, what are you doing here? What what's what's the plan here? All right, Matt Bove, um, this was excellent. Um, thank you so much for for jumping back on the Buffalo beat, my man. You're the best. Very therapeutic. Felt like old times, like riding, <laughs> like riding a bike, Joe. The two of us chit chatting here. Yeah, and, it's, and honestly, it's been nice to. It was nice to just kind of like talk about football for a little bit. Like, obviously, right. you know, I spent so much of my time talking about football, but these last couple of weeks, I've I, I really wanted to play catch up on the Sabers because I, I felt like I was a little behind, and I, I'm just like a hockey nut. So I've spent a lot of my time the last couple of weeks really trying to like dive deep into everything that I needed to know about the Sabers. So it, it was nice to uh, dust off the football a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah. Hockey is uh, definitely going. Uh, I can say from from my perspective, I'm probably paying more attention to the NBA trade trade deadline, uh, <laughs> but 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 that's just me. Um, but yeah, it's uh, hockey is. It seems like things are going going pretty well so far, right? Uh, at least at least it looks like on an upward trajectory for the Sabers. So that's that's fun for for people in Buffalo for sure. by all means. All right, Matt Beauvais, uh, you can check out his all his stuff over at wkbw.com and on channel seven if you are in buffalo and be sure to follow him on the twitter machine at matt underscore bove matt bove any fond words of farewell before we bid bid you adieu no i just hope everybody's doing well hope everybody's enjoying the off season as much as they can i know that's easier said than done for a lot of people and uh we'll do it again soon all right buddy Uh, that sounds great to me all right that's Matt, matt bove uh, my name is Joe Biscalia. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this off-season edition of the Buffalo Beat, and we will talk to you next time. See you then. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.